I'm Heather Campbell, and this is You Are Made For More, conversations about strength training, nutrition, and transformation. Today's topic is a hot one. We're going to be having a conversation about pelvic floor health and strength athletes. I am joined by guests Antonia Henry and Courtney Edgecombe. Antonia is a NASM certified personal trainer and senior fitness specialist. She also works with pregnancy and postpartum clients and is very passionate about the topic of pelvic floor health. When she's not working, you can find her powerlifting, cuddling with her Great Dane, or drinking gin and tonics. Courtney is a pelvic health physical therapist, and she is very passionate about providing clients with empowerment and confidence to return to the activities they love through education, body awareness, movement, and wellness practices. She has her doctorate of physical therapy from Northeastern University, and she does both in-office and virtual appointments with clients. When she's not in the office, you can find her in the kitchen sharpening her French culinary skills. Like our core is so essential and your pelvic floor is what holds everything inside your body. It's the foundation that supports everything. And we spend so much time talking about, um, you know, our, our transverse abdominals and their function and our breathing and bracing and our diaphragm and all this and that, and the pelvic floor gets no love. And so learning about the pelvic floor and the way that it functions with the rest of our bodies is just, that's really something that is going to not only improve your performance, by improving your efficiency, but it's also going to really drastically reduce your chances of injury and, and help you get back when you are injured. Yeah, I think you're right on point. You know, I think it's a very underlooked um, and underexamined part of our body. And it shouldn't be because the pelvic floor, to me, that's life. You know, we have so many daily functions like urinary bowel, sexual functions, reproductive functions that happen through the pelvic floor. So it literally is our life and our root and it just gets completely ignored. Whether that is for your normal day-to-day activities or for strength training and lifting and powerlifting and all, you know, more of those higher level activities. Hello, Antonia. Hello, Courtney. It's so great to have you here today to talk about pelvic health, which interestingly enough, and so timely has been blowing up on social media. What is going on with that? You know, I was just thinking about that this morning. I was like, oh my gosh, this recording could not have come at a better time because it is wild out there right now. (laughs) It really is. (laughs) Lots of graphic pictures in good ways. (laughs) Yeah, I, I'm really, I'm enjoying it. And I am enjoying so much the freedom, especially that women are having with posting these pictures and saying, yeah, that's right. I pee on the platform, you know, like that's just the way it is. Get over it. Moving right along. Just another day to powerlift and gym. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So before we dive in, um, Antonia, um, fun thing to know about you, you have a pet horse. (laughs) It's really a dog, but it looks like a horse. Otto, who I've met, Otto is amazing. Um, Yeah. So how, how did this 180 pound dog come into your life? Yeah, you know, um, that is a great question. I get asked that a lot. <laughs> no surprise, right? 
Um, I remember the day that he weighed more than me. He weighed 155 pounds. I was like in the low 150s and I took him to the vet. He weighed 155 pounds and I like almost cried. I was like, I'm so proud of you. Um, we, I had another dog who was like, um, very alpha female and wanted to get a second dog and just needed someone that was going to match with that, like personality wise. And so ended up thinking about great Danes and yeah, that was it. <laughs> and Otto became part of the family. And Otto is it. He is my little baby forever and ever and ever. And he really is. He's so gentle. Um, yeah, he's really sweet. I'm so glad I got the chance to meet him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then Courtney, I just found out that <laughs> you have started doing some gymnastics, which, you know, it, it, we think of kids and tumbling and, you know, birthday parties where you get to go to the gym, but tell, tell me more about this. It's so exciting. Yeah. And I like to think that I look like a kid doing it, but that's probably not the case. <laughs> um, but over last summer, um, friends of ours were doing this class at gymnastics and they had brought it up at the gym that they were doing that. And I thought, oh my gosh, how fun is that? Like adult gymnastics? I didn't even know that existed. And it was like a 12 week program. They have it like semesters. And so we did the summer, my husband and I, he was like, got this for your birthday. We did the um, summer semester, which was so fun. I was like jumping on the trampoline, doing assisted front handsprings and like using all the bolsters and the props and it was oh my gosh I've never been so sore in my life either <laughs> I bet. Um, yeah I could not use my shoulders worth anything after that but um it was so fun so so fun I just felt like I was playing again you know it was great I love it I love so it all, hopefully I'll do it that. again yeah, hopefully I do it again this summer, but the the times they lay out for it are can be like super late and I am not a night owl, so I have to call it at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know that does that does align with being a kid because most kids, you know, they're crashing out at eight, eight o'clock at night. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. We'll use that. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're here today to talk about pelvic floor health and specifically how it relates to strength athletes, but also just in general um, for the audience and for my own education too. What, what is pelvic floor health and why, why is this something that is important and we need more information out there about it? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I mean, for me, pelvic floor, like knowledge about the pelvic floor, how it works, what it does for us is the most like underutilized, understudied, under understood, I don't know, um, component that is so essential for strength athletes because strength athletes, we're all about our core. Um, either where that is supporting our movements, right. Or via breathing and bracing mechanisms, like our core is so essential and your pelvic floor is what holds everything inside your body. It's the foundation that supports everything. And we spend so much time talking about, um, you know, our, our transverse abdominals and their function and our breathing and bracing and our diaphragm and all this and that, and the pelvic floor gets no love. And so learning about the pelvic floor and the way that it functions with the rest of our bodies is just, that's really something that is going to not only improve your performance by improving your efficiency, but it's also going to really drastically reduce your chances of injury and, and help you get back when you are injured. Yeah, I think you're right on point. You know, I think it's a very underlooked um, and underexamined part of our body and it shouldn't be because the pelvic floor to me that's life you know yeah. we have so many daily functions like urinary bowel sexual functions reproductive functions that happen 
through the pelvic floor. So it literally is our life and our root and it just gets completely ignored. Whether that is for your normal day-to-day -day activities or for strength training and lifting and powerlifting and all, you know, more of those higher level activities, whatever side of the spectrum, it is life and right. it cannot be overlooked anymore. Right. <laughs> Every, right. Everybody has a pelvic floor. It doesn't matter whether you are male or female, transgender, binary, whatever gender you identify as, whatever sex you were at birth, it doesn't matter. You have a pelvic floor. Right. Such an important point. Like if you are listening to this episode, like everyone needs to listen to this episode. This is not going to be yes. focused around pregnancy and postpartum, which is like a soapbox that I will forever die on is that people don't learn about pelvic floor stuff until they are pregnant or until they are postpartum. That is trash. Like we all need to know about this. Like Courtney said, every single person has a pelvic floor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I I'll share a personal experience when I became very aware of my pelvic floor. I was getting urinary tract infections all the time. And in the past, it had been mostly associated with sex. And I started getting them literally like every couple of weeks. It was out of control. And so I went to a urologist and that was the first time anyone had ever mentioned pelvic floor. And what she told me was that my felt pelvic floor was so tight and so strong that I was not completely eliminating when I went to the bathroom. And yeah. so the urine was just sitting in there, having bacteria in it or, or getting and, and this, little, this little graphic getting sucked back up in there and all the bacteria with it. And so I had like this permanent urinary tract infection because I wasn't fully eliminating. And I had absolutely no idea. I'd never heard of such a thing. I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't even know the pelvic floor was a thing. Right. And I will say you are very fortunate that your doctor even mentioned pelvic floor. Um, we will get into that later, I'm sure. But just to put it out there at first, you're very fortunate. So I'm glad that that was ultimately the experience that you had that your doctor was able to point that out. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was able to put into practice, you know, some methods that she gave me to make sure that I was fully eliminating and, and it's been several years and I have not had a urinary tract infection. So that, <laughs> that's, that's, been really the worst. that's a good feeling. Oh my gosh. Those are the worst. The first oh, time awful. I was on a flight, a six hour flight. And thank God I was on there with my mom. And she was like, she went to the back. She's like, I need like six cans of cranberry juice. <laughs> but I was like, I was like in tears and I was like, oh my God, this hurts so bad. So it's so painful. It's so incredibly painful. Yeah. And if you, if you've never had one, you are so incredibly fortunate. <laughs> yeah. So how, how did you both get interested in pelvic floor health? So I, I don't have like a definite moment, but when I was out of PT school, I didn't learn any of it really in PT school. Um, I was practicing, you know, I was practicing as an orthopedic um, physical therapist. So, you know, your general type of injuries and such. And we have to take continuing edu education courses and through, you know, different buzz things that I had heard and some th people recommending this and that, I decided to do a course in the pelvic floor. And it was like this three day kind of all day intensive, like get to know the pelvic floor course. And I brought a colleague of mine and we went and I just from the very first day fell in love with it. Uh, you know, it, it not only resonated with me with some issues that I've had with pelvic pain, constipation, urinary urgency, um, but also it was like, oh my God, all the light bulbs going off, how much this connected to other things and just how many people deal with these issues on so many different levels and have such a hard time finding the right information and the right care. 
Um, and so that's kind of where my uh, first interest and really love for it came. And then I just really started taking off with it from there. Yeah. Um, and I guess my, mine's a little ass backwards as well. I, um, I, so I got into pelvic floor stuff through, um, being a pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach through Brianna Battles brand. Um, but originally this all started because I was, how old was I? I don't know. I was like 23 and I was about to have my practice marriage. And I was like, I'm going to have six kids by the time I'm 30 years old. And I'm also going to go to the IPF. So how are we going to do that? Who, who is going to help me become a world-class powerlifting champion while I'm also having six babies? This can be done. Who can help me? Um, so that was how I ended up on the um, pregnancy and postpartum athleticism brand. And then really just like the last few years, um, through a variety of uh, unrelated to pelvic floor, but you know, probably related to pelvic floor injuries, got really big into rehab as well. Um, and I've been a competitive power lifter for eight years now and a bodybuilder previously. So um, as I came out of kind of like the other side of the pregnancy and postpartum space, and then I got my master's as well with a rehab concentration. And now I'm going to this amazing gym with you, Heather, which is where we met at Ironside. And I'm looking around and I'm like, why is no one talking about pelvic floor outside of the pregnancy and postpartum space that doesn't sit well with me because there are so many people that I'm surrounded by on a daily basis who um, may or may not have symptoms, but in either case, they don't understand the huge importance of the pelvic floor. And, you know, I've been to a lot of gyms and a lot of times you'll just, you know, you're walking by and you just hear someone be like, oh, this is getting really heavy. And someone's like, here, just use a belt. Like, <laughs> and, and it's just like so willy nilly. And so for me, really, I've, I've just like landed this in this space where there people don't understand strength athletes mentality or the physical demands of what we do. Right. So they don't understand either of those. Um, and pelvic floor space is so there's like no one in it. And like Courtney said, she didn't learn about this in PT school. People don't, it's like an elective, you know, it's like how doctors can take a nutrition elective. It's like that kind of trash. Right. So I'm like, okay, who, who does this that can speak to this? And I'm looking around and like, I don't see anyone. So here we are, Heather. <laughs> and a little, a little background for the listeners I've known Antonia just a few months uh, through the gym and um, Antonia always goes big. So <laughs> I, I have absolute confidence that the study of pelvic floor health is going to be completely turned upside down and <laughs> We are going to start seeing articles published by Antonia. And she's going to start lecturing around the world about this subject because um, she's passionate about it. But this is just how Antonia approaches life. You know, you're going in, you're going a thousand percent in. <laughs> well, I guess I have to go get my PhD now because I have a lot of questions and no one has answers. And these people are just making me mad. So it's like, let me just go back to school for seven years. <laughs> Yeah, stop looking for the evidence. Go create it yourself. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because it doesn't exist. So yeah. Yeah. And you're you're gonna make it exist. And I love that about you. <laughs> We're doing it. And Courtney, I, I I love that you have an entire practice now, um, you know, built around this part of the body because that is how important it is. And it's so fantastic that there are, are starting to be more and more practitioners out there that are taking this very seriously and providing the healthcare that so many people need. You know, and Antonia, you mentioned earlier, and, and you too, Courtney, regardless of what gender you identify with, we all have a pelvic floor and it can be the source of so many different issues within the body that people are experiencing. So if you could tell, you know, tell us what you're seeing, you know, Antonio with your clients, Courtney, 
with your with your patients, you know, what are what should our listeners be aware of when it comes to pelvic floor? Yeah, I mean, I think if we're, you know, for the general population, right, even before we dive deeper into the strength side of things, the general population, you know, we could list a kind of a laundry list of symptoms, but really any changes in urinary bowel or sexual function or pelvic pain, whether that is low back pain, hip pain, genital pain, or anywhere around the pelvis, like the groin, that kind of sacrum area, tailbone, any kind of change in pain there, um, warrants a visit or at least like a phone call to get to know, like, why all of a sudden is this changing? You know, especially if it's something that's interfering with your quality of life to any degree, I think it's so important. It can be addressed. Yeah, it could be really embarrassing and hard to talk about. A lot of people have shame around these issues, whether that's from what they were brought up or how they feel about things now, or if there's prior trauma and abuse. It's really hard to talk about these things, but if we don't, we can't change it. So we have to start talking about it. And it doesn't mean you have to go talk about it to all of your friends, just talk about it to a provider you can trust. That's all it has to be. But we need to really start having these conversations and it can be hard to bring up, but you know, all you really can do is call a provider and say, hey, I'm having some issues with my pelvic health. Can we talk about this? That's a great way to start to bring it up. So like I said, any urinary, like urgency frequency, difficulty emptying, feeling like pain when you are urinating, like we talked about UTIs earlier. Um, yeah, or any incontinence, right, leaking, that is not a typical function of our body. That is a sign that something is happening that is not ideal. Could also be bowel symptoms, whether that is leaking bowels to any degree, constipation, or somewhere in a mix of sex is a really big thing again for both sides it can be for women or those who identify with the female anatomy uh, with penetration or for those who have male anatomy it can be like post ejaculatory pain um, can also have difficulty with orgasm so again i could go through a whole list of things um, but those are some very common ones that will often come up and again any kind of change that you notice is something and it can be addressed and it doesn't have to take forever and it doesn't have to be a crazy hard process, but it can be difficult to start the conversation. Yeah, all of that. I mean, and then to, to add in some symptoms that we might not know are symptoms, um, are like difficulty using tampons. That's a big one, like with insertion with tampons or just like discomfort with tampons. That's something that I struggled with a long time. And I had to use like the preteen tampons, like the light tampons, because otherwise, and just change them more frequently because otherwise it was just like that feeling of having like a super duper, like I just put a diaper in there is what it felt like, right? so incredibly uncomfortable. Um, that's really big. And I think um, in four strength athletes, particularly, um, and this is something that we will see a lot in the postpartum space, just because it is so obvious, we can't ignore it. But people who feel like they, I call it running out of juice um, at the bottom of a squat is a lot of times where it will happen that they're bracing, their breathing and bracing will fail them. Um, also, I would say that that's probably like the most specific one. You know, if you are an, an Oli athlete, if you have a lot of trouble getting out of the hole when after you catch a squat or a jerk or a cleaner or a jerk, if you have trouble getting out of the hole with that, um, that could be another big indicator that like things just aren't coordinating how they should be. We're not able to apply the right amount of pressure. If you are finding that um, you cannot do hollow holds, I'm a big fan of programming hollow holds for my athletes because that is so like, you can't hide a, you can't hide having trouble with breathing and bracing when you're in the hollow hold position. Um, and people don't train that a lot. So if you are unable to keep your low back to the ground, 
when you get into that like V position, extended V position, but you're still out here deadlifting twice your weight, like that's not, those, those things don't make sense, right? Like we should be able to create that isometric tension if we are lifting that much actively. Um, so those are, those are kind of just some other things out there that, that would be kind of like a red flag. It's so interesting that you bring that up because now I'm starting to question, maybe I need to go get my pelvic floor looked at a little bit closer because there are some things that you've mentioned uh, when it comes to lifting that I can do and things that I can't do. And from what I'm hearing, I should be able to do both. So um, we're going to talk more about that, Antonia, next time we're at the gym together. Um, yeah, and, and I think... I think to that point also, you know, you don't have to see someone or address your pelvic floor when something is wrong. Mm -hmm. You can do something from a wellness perspective or a performance perspective to enhance your performance or your daily ability, right? So it doesn't have to be that something is really wrong or affecting your quality of life. It yeah. can be just, you want to perform better and that's fine. And, and it, it doesn't have to mean that your pelvic floor is doing something wrong either. It just means we can make it a little bit more effective. Right. Exactly. And also, and I mean, this is a conversation that I hope to expand on in the coming years as well, but for strength athletes who want to have children, there is a big piece that needs to change there in our training and in preparation for that. Because man, if I can't get a tampon, there's no way I can get a baby out of there. <laughs> it's going to be a lot harder. That's for sure. I mean, you know, there is a lot that does kind of naturally happen through that process, but right. it, it can result in some outcomes that might not be as desirable. So hundred percent right. agree with that. Yes. Right. And doing, doing the prehab, doing the pre-work, right. Like right. being able exactly. to, to lengthen and to relax right? Like that's a whole skill set that like, yes, I practice regularly now, but because of my training demands, I can't fully embrace that right now. Yeah. Right. Because it's like, can't have right. it all. <laughs> yeah. 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 We've been talking a lot about strength athletes and let's define that for the audience. Um, when, when you're both referring to strength athletes, you know, we're talking about power lifters, Olympic lifters, or for short, only lifter, who else is falling into that category for you? Yeah. Um, I have a, I have a pretty narrow definition of this because people who use free weights, like to self-categorize as strength athletes, but that's not really who we're talking about here. So for me, strength athletes, it, it's, there's three, there's three pillars, right? So number one, your primary goal is to maximize your strength. Number two, these are people who are regularly testing their one rep max. They're engaging in super maximal effort. This means you are trying to push your body to more than it can do. Right. So you're doing that through your training. You're engaging in that regularly. Um, and also people who are concerned with their form because of safety, but also because of efficiency. For example, how we power lifters have an arch in our bench. Right. It's not for a safety. It's for efficiency. Why we pull sumo. Right. Why we low bar. Blah, 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 blah. That's how I like, that's how narrowly I like to define it because there are people that are talking to the other people that aren't defined by that. Okay. Yeah. And I, I think that definitely makes sense for uh, specifying who is a strength athlete, you know, uh, when we're really going to get that like nitty gritty and because it's a totally different form of training. Mm -hmm. Then like you're saying, someone who is using free weights or even doing CrossFit, you know, uh, yes, that person is still an athlete wrong, but the technique, the strategies are very different than what that definition of a strength athlete is. So I, I agree with that. All right. So strength athletes it's it, what's been happening in social media 
um, is real. A lot of attention is being paid all of a sudden to uh, people peeing on the platform, and it and it's there's a lot of negativity around it. There's a lot of uh, really disrespectful comments that people are um, putting, you know, on various lifters posts and a lot of misinformation getting out there. And, and it's, it's infuriating because this is, you know, our bodies just do these things naturally. Right. And, um, they happen. So instead of making this some sort of terrible thing or somebody's doing it on purpose or, you know, you know, or embarrass, shaming somebody for it, like, okay, let's address it <laughs> and, and understand it, you know, let's understand what's happening here. So, so what is happening? Why, why are we seeing that, especially as more and more women, um, are hitting the platform and more and more women are getting into the strength sports and pushing themselves, um, beyond anything we've ever seen before, you know, it's obviously it's going to, we're going to see it. It's going to become much more public. So what, what is going on? Why is this happening? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I tell you, I'm just like, Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> you open the can of worms. <laughs> You've both been waiting for this. Oh, it's boy. your moment. Yeah. I mean, it's, oh boy, I, we could go off all day on this, I think, but you know, I, yes, incontinence or leaking with lifting is coming to light, you know, and there was, I forget how many years ago it was, but there was a cross lift, uh, crossfitter who was basically doing this during a live meet and someone was, uh, reporting on it and basically saying, oh, you know, you're not lifting unless you're peeing. And that got a lot of rap from the public health side of things. And so now there's this big debate is like, is this a bad thing? Is this a good thing? Is it, you know, the goal if you're strength, a strength athlete, is it not the goal because of public health? And I think at the end of the day is let's talk about the individual, you know, what are their goals? What is their threshold for having symptoms like that? How much does it bother them um, on a personal level instead of all of us just going out there and saying, oh, you shouldn't have that. That's not normal or that's not good. Uh, and all of those really negative comments, I think we need to start, first of all, just not being negative, but <laughs> second, just, you know, ask that person, is this something that bothers you? And is there a way we can make things more efficient? So this is not so much of a problem. I shouldn't say problem, uh, so much of an occurrence. <laughs> right. Yeah. And yeah, it, it's tough to know where to start with this conversation because yeah. first and foremost, you know, stay in your own lane, bro. Like what embarrasses you does not have to embarrass me. Yeah. First of all, right. That that's your projection of your insecurities and you can keep that shit to yourself. Um, and it's all, it's, it's also kind of like this thing where, you know, it's like, we're all sitting on our couches, eating Taco Bell, watching the Olympics. And we're like, uh, I could like, Oh, how embarrassing, <laughs> you know, like, oh, I can't believe they missed that. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, all right, settle down, settle down. Like, hey. <laughs> um, so I, I, you know, I think that there's a lot of that stuff there too, but I mean, I think that the biggest issue and I, um, I worked, I did powerlifting out of a CrossFit gym for five years. And that was the first and only place that I ever heard women talk about, um, incontinence or running to the bathroom before the wad or all that kind of stuff. Um, and I really think that the number one problem here is that people do not know that this happens frequently, period. Yeah. It happens frequently. This is very, 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 very common. And then on top of that, people don't know that there is another option. 
um, and they don't know that it can be different, right? And that th those two things do not go together, right? Even as someone with an extremely hypertonic pelvic floor, I have never had a single incontinence issue, lifting, breathing, bracing through any of that, right? Like these don't have to go together. Um, so there's that, that's the first layer of the education. And what then- is, I'm gonna interrupt you for one second. What is hypertonic? Oh yeah, thank you. Thanks for asking. Hypertonic is um, too tight, so chronically tight. Um, and and so with piece, other piece of that education piece is there's a huge part of the pelvic floor community that thinks that incontinence is due to a weak pelvic floor, mm -hmm. and they completely lack any context or knowledge about strength athletes in specific, which is why we're having this conversation because we don't have weak pelvic floors. I, I will put money on that any day. We don't have weak pelvic floors. That's not our problem. Our problem is that our pelvic floors are too tight. They're hypertonic. They're always on go, right? And so like incontinence is not just because of a weak pelvic floor. Incontinence is because of a lack of coordination and a lack of- that? Yeah, 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 please do. Yeah, I think you're definitely on spot there is incontinence is not- because of the weak pelvic floor in a lot of cases, it like you just highlighted it, that coordination is a big piece, right? So it might not even be that you have a tight pelvic floor, like you right. said, lots of strength athletes do, but it could be just the way that you are bracing, you might actually be bearing down and pushing into yes. the pelvic floor. And that is where we lose the pressure. All of that. All that of has that. nothing to do with weakness in the <laughs> pelvic floor. So yep. anyways, back to you. <laughs> uh, and that's right to go back to hollow holds. That's why I love pro programming right. hollow holds because you can't hide that. But um, so there's that. And then there's the piece of, you know, it doesn't have to be this way. You have another option. Um, you can function differently. Right. Yeah. And um, you don't necessarily have to sacrifice one for the other, although depending on your level of um, athleticism, competition, your own personal background, you might not be able to have your cake and eat it too, right? But no one can ever convince me that it is possible for an athlete to involuntarily void the entire contents of their bladder during a heavy lift and that they don't have any other pelvic floor dysfunction. Like you can never convince me about that. Right. I see, so I see a video like that and I'm like, damn, I wonder how their sex life is yep. like, because it's probably not as great as it could be. There's probably some other thing that's there. Right. Yep. And I think, you know, um, like it, it affects you so much outside of the gym as well. But a lot of times we're just not able to put two and two together, which is a bummer. That sucks. Cause like great sex is like the best part of life, right? <laughs> Let's yeah. be honest. What's better? <laughs> yeah. And you know, in ways that someone might be able to relate to that another way, a, a patient I have right now, she's a power lifter. She's two years into powerlifting, and she's coming to me because her biggest complaint is leaking with deadlifts. And it's really driving her crazy. She's very angry. She's very frustrated. She's very embarrassed. And so, you know, this is, she's feeling this way about it. Someone else might not feel that way about it, but she certainly does. But she also has chronic back pain that has been better, but chronic back pain with it. Right. And so she's telling me like, okay, when I get up in the morning and I go to brush my teeth, I can barely stand over the sink because my back is so stiff. Um, and so just that alone, like, okay, it's not just that she is leaking with her, with her lifts. She is unable to move in the morning because her back is so stiff. And when you watch her form with deadlifts, she has this crazy kind of pelvic tilting and winking and all that going on because of her mobility and her back. And so now we get into the connection of how the pelvic floor and the lumbar spine and the pelvis move together and all of this. And so there's just, there's so much dynamic that goes into it, but to Antonio's point, you know, it, having that incontinence is not necessarily the only sign that someone is going to see. Mm -hmm. What, um, this is like a chicken, chicken or the egg <laughs> question, mm -hmm. but are these pelvic floor occurrences 
getting revealed when somebody be becomes involved in a strength sport or is it, the, is it the other way around or could it be both? Could it develop because you are a strength athlete or could you bring the these issues into yeah. it and they get revealed because you're doing this heavy lifting? Yeah, I think you're right. Very much chicken or the egg, you know? Yeah. And that's what gets really difficult about pelvic floor related things while someone is treating it and going through the rehab because it's not a straightforward answer lots of the times. And we like to have straightforward answers. And so when, you know, we have like an arm injury or a shoulder or a hip or whatever, and it's like, oh, it's because you tore this muscle or blah, blah, blah. Right? We don't necessarily have that with the pelvic floor. It's not really straightforward. So it's really confusing. And we, we keep searching and searching and searching for that answer. And a lot of times it just comes down to that chicken or the egg, you know, which one was it? Um, and so that's where we really just have to look at what is going on and what are the um, what are the challenges that someone's experiencing? What are the limitations and how can we make those things more efficient for that person? A hundred percent. And something, Courtney, that you highlighted earlier, which I think we this is a great time to bring up in this conversation, is that people look that's what I went off with in my stories this morning. People look at the human body through a purely biomechanical lens, which means they look at like the way that our organs function and the way that our joints move and our muscles move. And that explains everything, right? Yeah. But in order to be effective providers, coaches, blah, blah, blah. We have to look at it through a bio psychosocial lens mm -hmm. that includes the psychology piece, how our minds work, what we're thinking on things, the social constructs that surround us, right? Because for example, you can have a, a hypertonic pelvic floor because you are a type A, just super uptight person. You're always stressed you always have anxiety, you have perfectionist tendencies, you grind your teeth at night. You can have pelvic floor dysfunction because you have a history of trauma, whether or not that is sexual, that is also going to affect your pelvic floor, right? And, and Courtney brought that up like at the very beginning, you know, being trauma informed, you have no business in this space if you are not trauma informed, first and foremost. Like I have no problem making that blanket statement because um, when, we, when we cannot have very frank and open and non-judgmental conversations with the people that are coming to us for help, we cannot help them. We can't, right? So you could have someone with a history of a variety of these things, I mean, Let's be honest, most of us who are really into sports right now, we grew up playing sports as kids. There's a lot of research that shows, especially for female athletes in puberty that play high impact sports, soccer, volleyball, basketball, track. I don't know. We all did those things, right? That really predisposes you to pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, and then you have, you know, uh, whatever psychosocial things. You're super uptight. You're also an uh, A-plus student, blah, blah, blah. Um, one time you got hurt. You had a back injury one time doing whatever it is that you do, right? And that injury made you want to avoid certain movements because those movements cause pain, right? So then your body starts to get really tight because it's in those protective positions all the time. That impacts your pelvic floor, okay? So when like the, the entire body is so connected in every single possible way, it's not just about the muscles and the joints and the organs. Like we really have to look at the whole entire person. That was my soapbox number 7,000. <laughs> Context matters. Yes. Yeah. It absolutely does. And this goes beyond our conversation today, but I think that's how everything has to be looked at For sure. because trauma, trauma can be so deeply embedded in our cells and manifest okay. itself in, in physical ways. And yeah. it sounds like our pelvic floor can be, um, a symptom, you know, a symptom of trauma. Mm -hmm. 
hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, a, it, it's important um, to include that in this discussion. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. It sounds like um, for both trainers and coaches and for medical providers that having a safe space, a non-judgmental space for people to be able to have these discussions is of utmost importance in progressing, right? The, the knowledge and understanding of what's going on here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, even I remember when we first decided to do this podcast, I was looking up some research and stuff, you know, I wanted to be prepared and um, a study that they did on Olympic weightlifters, the men, 66% of the men were having fecal incontinence mm-hmm. during lifting. I have never heard a dude talk about that. Ever. Never. I mean, yeah, I, I've literally never heard that. 60%, 60%, like, holy shit. I mean, all puns intended, I guess, but like, that is an astronomically high. That is so many. And then, you know, you have to imagine, hey, maybe there's a handful of dudes that were in this study, but they were still too embarrassed to say it. And they didn't say anything. Yep. Yep. And so it's just like, oh, man. And no one wants to poop their pants ever. Like, right. And- can you imagine the comments? I mean, look at the comments on social media around women oh, being on the platform. Could you imagine the judgment and the shame that would just explode? No pun intended. You know, <laughs> on social media about fecal incontinence. Yeah. yeah, yeah, or like a group of like highly educated professional women and like twelve-year-old boys. <laughs> Uh. Yeah, yeah. but I mean it's really it's that you know it's the shame that surrounds it which is like such a huge bummer to me and this is like where like my protective mama bear instincts come out and um, you know like people even in the comments of my posts like oh my gosh she should be so embarrassed she shouldn't be doing that blah 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 and it's like no shut up you don't you're not her right so be quiet (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's... Right. We don't need to hear from you. <laughs> yeah. No one asked you. <laughs> yeah. That I I posted this thing on my Instagram stories this morning that, you know, basically was like, you know, the difference between, you know, asking for your opinion and coffee is that I asked for a coffee, you know, like <laughs> we don't need your opinion. <laughs> Yes, all of that. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I think that brings us back to the point is that, you know, this stuff is so freaking common. You know, it's 60%. That's more than one in two people. Yeah. So you talk to your friend, they're probably going to have it, you know, especially if you are a strength athlete and a lot of the friends you're hanging out with are at the gym. Mm-hmm. You know, so it just, and just because it's common does not mean that it has to be the way that you have to have it. Mm-hmm. Again, if it's something that's not necessarily bothering you and you're not embarrassed by it, well, then I can't tell you to change it. Right. But most of the time people are bothered by it. And if you are, you can change it. I think that's just the takeaway we want to get here is, yeah. you know, this okay. stuff is really important and you can feel more confident. You can feel like a better athlete you can perform in more optimal ways and you can make better goals if if that's what you want for sure yeah what do you what do you want to see change um in this space going forward Courtney you as a as a medical provider and and then Antonia will talk about you know as a as a coach and trainer um, you know, what you want to see change? Yeah, I think the big thing for me is, first of all, I would really love for all the taboo and stigma to calm down. Um, you know, I, that's definitely going to take some time, but that is going to be, but having more conversations like this is really important for that. Um, but, 
Something that also really irks me is the industry of band-aids that we have for these things like pads and other incontinence products and those sort of things. And look, don't get me wrong, there's a time and a place for them, but they are so often used as, oh, let's just stick a pad on it and call it a day. That's great. You know, and that really is just doing a disservice to getting to the root cause. And this whole conversation we've talked about of how you can start actually addressing things versus just covering it up and then not talking about it again. Um, That is something that I would really like, at least the, like I said, those products are important because people do need them at times, especially as they're going through a rehab process to deal with these things and manage them. But I would love for the conversations with these products to be, hey, look, we're here for you to support you while you are taking care of this, but we're not your long-term solution. That's what I would love to see change. And I fall into that category. I did fall into that category because I was not educated. No one had ever talked to me about it, but I thought that was just part of powerlifting. You know, if you just, you, you wear it depends when you, when you're going to have your heavy deadlifting days. And that's just what, that's just comes with being a female powerlifter. And, you know, it's not everyone that does it, but the conversation is just around, like you said, the Band-Aid. I had no idea that this was something that you could actually do something about. Right, that. Yep, uh, yeah, period. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's why we're having this conversation. And here we are today, yeah. Um, and to add on to that, yeah, uh, you know, of course, plus 10 million to everything that Courtney says. I love Courtney. This is why we have worked together on various projects. Um, (laughs) And for me, what I would really love to see is, first of all, I want to see personal trainers and coaches do better in so many regards. Um, The very first one is going to be with a better understanding of human anatomy, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I mean, let's, let's set the bar where it needs to be. We need to be more understanding of human anatomy um, and not just the muscles and the bones, right? Like as a whole. Um, So really would love to see that. I also want to see more coaches and trainers providing solutions and networking with clinicians that can help their clients. That is extremely important as well. And then third, you know, from a research perspective, I want to see more studies done with our specific populations of experienced strength athletes, because we know that physiologically, the adaptations that occur between a novice person, a newbie, and someone that has experience are vastly different vastly different from, you know, the way that we are metabolizing our nutrients that we are consuming to the way that our um, muscles and tendons and central nervous system is adapting to our training. So when there's research on runners or when there's research on, um, you know, not obese, inactive populations that they put on a 12-week training program and then study their pelvic floor, that is almost in no way applicable to you or I, Heather or Courtney. We are, we are just so far removed from that in every single, like to a molecular level that that's not useful for us. And there's such a huge population really quick. You know, my favorite thing about CrossFit is that it made it cool to lift heavy weights and be a woman. And so there's a lot of us who have been lifting weights for a long time now. And we need stuff that is tailored to us. Yeah, well, you're I, go I would work on your PhD, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but I'm gonna have to go to like Denmark or like New Zealand. <laughs> Those are the only places where anyone cares about like female strength athletes. So, <laughs> you know, I was thinking too, Iceland. Have you checked Iceland? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, there's um there's one researcher, her last name's Bo. She is in Norway. She's out of um University of 
yeah, I don't know, somewhere in Norway. Um, but yeah, there's like five researchers across the world that are doing this right now. That is it. Well, you need to be the sixth. Woo! That's right. <laughs> <laughs> what are three takeaways uh, for our audience today, um, specifically strength athletes that are listening in? What are what are three three takeaways that you want to leave them with? Yeah, I would say from from a pelvic floor PT point of view, three takeaways for a strength athlete. I think number one would be that, first of all, a lot of these things that we've been talking about are common, but they don't have to be your normal. You do not have to accept them if you do not want to, uh, which leads into number two, that there are a lot of resources out there for you. Yes, it is still in the day and age that it's kind of hard to find and you might not be right next door to the provider that can help you, but a lot of us are working virtually these days, um, which can be really nice as well. So there's a lot of resources out there to make the changes if that is something you desire. And I think third takeaway, would be that, you know, regardless of your strength training, that this can carry over into a lot of other aspects of your life that you might not be connecting the pieces. Like we talked about, whether that's pain with sex or low back pain or, you know, something else. And this might be a good opportunity for you to connect those pieces and address some of those things together. Um, with the right providers. Thank you. Excellent takeaways. Yeah, I'm plus 7,000, Courtney, again. Uh, (laughs) And I think that the, probably like the one thing that I really want to tap onto that is that you don't need to have glaring symptoms to have things that could work better. Yes. Um, And that those are probably being reflected in your performance but no one has ID'd those for you. And um, so, you know, even if you never want to have kids and you are not incontinent and you have great nuts and all of these (laughs) other things, it is very possible because of your exercise history that there are things that are not working as well as they could be. And that is hindering your performance. That has really, that statement right there has really motivated me to look into this further for myself. Yeah. Because I do, I mean, I've had lower chronic back pain for decades, um, but there are certain shifts that I can feel it that my whole pelvis area does, especially when I'm deadlifting. Rarely when I squat, but it has happened when I've been squatting but I can just feel this little bit of a shift. And then I know instantly, oh, here we go. It's going to be two weeks of back pain. Mm -hmm. So maybe there's something going on with my pelvic flora that could be corrected, or maybe there's specific exercises I should be doing to prevent that shift from happening. Right. Right. And like, you know, I don't, I don't think I've mentioned this yet in the conversation, but you know, big butts are all the rage now and like building big butts. And like, even for a lot of us, like power lifters and like Oli and stuff, we're like, can we get some extra booty work in there though? Right. The glutes are the largest muscle in our entire body. Okay. So for example, at the top of your deadlift, when you notice that it is easier to lock out on one side than it is another, mm-hmm. is that tied to your pelvic floor? It's quite possible right? Does that mean that something is not coordinating, contracting, firing off the way that it should be? Yeah, probably. Right. Um, I have put on a absurd amount of weight to my squat one rep max this year, like 60 pounds in seven months. Um, and I do honestly think that that is partly 
because of the work that I've done with my pelvic floor and with being able to relax and coordinate and contract my pelvic floor. And a lot of it is just so much um, like mind muscle connection, you know, um, which I think is, is pretty underrated in general, but especially in this area, it can be really hard to connect with everything that's down there. I think a lot of that is, um, you know, uh, probably like culturally based. But um, once you are able to connect with and feel through those parts of your body during those lifts, it's a very, very different um, feeling. Very different. Love it. Yeah, I, I am so extra curious now. <laughs> and I'm definitely going to look into this further. Because yeah, who doesn't it. want a bigger spot? Exactly. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> any any last last words of wisdom that you want to leave our listeners with? I think we just got to keep having these conversations, you know, and break down the barriers. It's totally okay to talk about this stuff. You know, like I said, even if it's not with all of your buddies, maybe you have a conversation with one of them or provider that you trust. That's all it takes. But we got to start. A hundred percent. And like, if you don't know where that is, I am happy to have that chat with you. And, you know, if Courtney, you probably feel the same way, right? And we both have extremely large professional networks and I am you know, the queen of staying in my scope of practice. And I'm happy to refer out mm -hmm. to someone who can help you better. Um, and, you know, I, I am a keeper of many secrets. I really am. And I've had a lot of very private and intimate conversations with people who are even not my clients, but people who are just like so lost and so embarrassed. Um, and it brings me a lot of joy to be able to help direct those people, you know, and, and help them feel better about this meat sack that they're in for the next who knows how many years. Meat sack. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so Antonia, um, folks can reach out to you through Instagram. Your Instagram handle is a one fit coaching. Yes. The number one. Yes. Happy to connect with you guys there. Um, and you know, we can schedule a free consult or whatever it is that we need to happen after that. And Courtney, I am looking up your Instagram right now, so I get it right, but go ahead and tell, tell us what is your Instagram? Yes, it is pelvic P E L V I C P T underscore edge E D G E. So pelvic PT edge. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much on there. Like Antonio, reach out to me. Happy to chat. You know, I'm happy to spread the word about this stuff and get you the resources, whether that's me or another person. So don't be afraid. I'm ready to like go door to door and like knock on <laughs> doors and be like, can I, can I have a few minutes to talk about your pelvic floor? <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> Let's do it. I'll, I'll go with Free you. Free auto with you. <laughs> we'll, we'll hold hands. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much, Heather, for having us. Thank, thank you, you, Courtney, for joining as well. I mean, yeah, Courtney and I have a few um, collaborations out. Our biggest one, we have an eight-week postpartum program that's really built to take people from absolute day one through those first eight weeks of postpartum. It is, once again, geared towards strength athletes. A little bit a looser definition than what we had today. You know, if you work with free weights, um, also if you are a runner, it's going to be really great for you. Um, but I'm sure that Courtney and I will, will have more content coming out on this topic as well because Courtney, honestly, and like, I don't give out free gas, but like Courtney is one of the very few pelvic floor physical therapists where I have had intelligent um, conversations about working with strength athletes about, you know, and she does work with quite a few and she exercises herself. She uses barbells herself, which is like also super rare in this world. Um, and so, yeah, Courtney is just such a great resource as well. And 
yeah well thank you antonia i appreciate that yeah and, and likewise too you know it's it's not common like you were saying having personal trainers and strength coaches really just do better it's unfortunately hard to find right now so it's uh, been amazing to connect it has been really amazing and i know that i will be a better trainer and coach because of conversations like this, right? So I can better understand not only my own anatomy and what's going on with me, but that I can point my clients in the right direction and get them the, get them to the resources that they need to at least get some questions answered and have these conversations. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you both so much for your time. It's been um, really educational for me, and I know it will be for the listeners as well. So thank you. And this is definitely a conversation to be continued. It is. It is. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you.